Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Apparently, off-duty police officer interrupted a robbery tonight, heroically confronting an armed robber with only bottles of spaghetti sauce. Used to rob people who robbed people. I like Robin Hood. Yeah, except I didn't give the money to the poor people. Hey there, and welcome to Rewatchability. My name is Blaine Waters, and with me, as always, is Robert Larone and- Jr. Oh, you snuck it in there. Yes. <laughs> You can't stop me. <laughs> and uh, joining us is uh, Norm Wilner, a, a now magazine critic. You have your own podcast. I do. As well. Yeah, someone else's movie. Uh, newly joined to the Frequency Podcast Network, which oh, is nice. why I'm doing this uh, yeah. charm tour of, <laughs> of the world. Apparently, you're uh, here to steal our listeners. I'm here to to absorb them. Oh. Yeah, they, you can keep them, but I'll assimilate. Them. There's okay. room for two podcasts. Be charmed, <laughs> listeners. Be charmed. It's a whole corporate thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining. It's great. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, and we talked to you before about coming on the podcast and you were like I don't see Miami Blues on your on your roster yeah. and that's because we had never seen Miami Blues <laughs> or heard of it <laughs> this is a yeah we, yeah it would well it wasn't a movie that kind of um, you can say it it happened. <laughs> I mean, it happened. It uh, happened. Just... There's evidence of it. But we're of like a younger generation, I think. So I think like this would have come out when I was six. Right. So sometimes these movies we just sort of miss. Yeah. Okay, you know. Yeah. My mom didn't take me to see this one. But <laughs> but she would have. I think she was a fan of Alec Baldwin, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and the early, you know, the, the yeah, young, he was pretty young, sleek. Yeah. Honor like yeah. Alec Baldwin. He kind of looks like uh, Ryan Gosling. Oh, my God. I was bit. thinking the same thing. Yeah. yeah like he, I can see why they, they both came like big stars. They're he like has really a Gosling-esque quality. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the sense that he's vulnerable but violent. Right, like the, yes. this, this particular like performance drive. really has yeah. that drive, or or yeah. even Blue Valentine, where he's not right. like it's not an action movie in any way, but right. he still carries that, that volatility, like that seething. Yeah, yeah. and cool. and Baldwin was doing stuff like that in comic roles in, in uh, Married to the Mob, the, right. the Jonathan mm-hmm. Demi film, and he sort of plays that role. This would have been just the year after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why they're working together again, Jonathan Demi and yeah, yeah. and uh, Demi produced this for a, a friend of his, and yeah, it's very clearly influenced by. Demi's thing, but it Definitely. is also its own. I mean, I, I I'm kind of amazed that 
I'm not amazed you haven't seen it. I, I totally understand. This yeah, no, it's no, under no. the radar. But I love the idea that you're coming to it for the first time now, like almost yeah. well, 30 years later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and that's why it's exciting to do. And it's always exciting to find uh, movies that weren't on our radar and that have so much like interesting things going on, so much to talk about in it. So I can't wait to, to get to that. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, I want to thank our Patreon listeners. Thank you so much for going to patreon.com slash rewatchability and giving us one, three or five dollars a month to keep the podcast going and, and you get the podcast early and ad free, which is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. And you get some bonus episodes every once in a while. And uh, <laughs> staring at me, waiting for the. All right, so let's get into the movie. Both of us haven't seen this movie, so why don't we go to you, Norm? When did you first see this movie, and like, how did it affect you at the time? I saw it on opening day. Yeah, uh, yeah, it would have been this. No, not even the spring. It was like January or February of 1990. Okay. Did you sleep out overnight Star Wars style? <laughs> we didn't do that then. No. We just okay. movies opened in five or six theaters and you were if you were not in school, you went like Friday, 1.30. It's like, oh, I know these people involved. I want right. to see this movie. Yeah. Uh, I was familiar with the books that it's based on, a series of novels by Charles Williford with these yeah. great Florida noir mm-hmm. stories of a cop named Hoke Mosley and his general – I guess you could call it competence. He's not. He's not the most. Uh, he's not the most polished detective. No, right. And Fred Ward in the film just captures that perfectly. They were actually going to. They were going to yeah. do a, a recently rather. They were going to do a television series uh, for Amazon, I think, with hmm. Paul Giamatti, and it fell apart. But you could see that. Yeah, like, there's sure. a continuity there. Yeah, yeah. Giamatti wouldn't lose his teeth. <laughs> right. Get him knocked out though. Like they, he'd lose them in a fight. It would be. Oh like, yeah. It would be like the the opening scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or the show. Think about it, Giamatti. Yeah, <laughs> but it had. It was one of those movies that had um, almost no marketing. Orion Pictures was doing pretty well, right? Uh, but they were constantly in financial trouble. They were overextending themselves. So here they were just they were sub distributed by MGM, I think, and they just didn't put anything behind it. There were newspaper ads, and you knew it was coming. Yeah, but. That was it. Right. But the box office was like no. It yeah, didn't nobody do well. Went to there was no advertising. Barely got released in the yeah. states. Barely opened in Canada. But uh, I saw it. I want to say three times during its theatrical run. Wow. I, I loved it. I thought. What, what, what was like? What captured you about it? Like, well, what? looking back now, uh, it's easier to put into into perspective. It yeah. feels like the other direction that noir movies might have taken if Tarantino hadn't come along. Right. Because right. Reservoir Dogs. Shows up at Sundance in 92 and just mm. obliterates everything else. It reinvents sure. the genre. This one was different. This one was another kind of character-based rather than plot-based. It felt a lot like the the crime dramas of the 70s and yeah, 80s. Yeah, for sure. But without the slickness, without the, the production values that were starting yeah. to creep in. Yeah, it felt a lot like Fletch. Yeah, Honestly, it's got a lot of shagginess like, yeah, to it that yeah, way. It, sure. the, the framing is big and, and friendly. You get to see things happening mm-hmm. uh, sometimes before the characters do. Yeah, so it's not like overtly stylized or anything. Mm. There's no big camera movements or anything. It's just kind of showing you what's happening. Yeah, yeah. and the the, um, the Blu-ray that's out now from Shout mm-hmm. Factory uh, has a transfer that is incredibly faithful. It looks like crap. I mean, it, <laughs> it doesn't look – there's not a lot of – there's not a lot of extra – uh, smoothening done. There's no DNR. Right. There's none of the tricks that you use to make a film look more contemporary. It looked like that then. It mm-hmm. looked like it was being projected through grindhouse filters. Okay. Uh, and it's kind of great for that. There, there's a sense of, if not reality, then a sort of a grimy authenticity to the world. Mm. And you can believe these people are operating in, in this world without ever really getting larger like attention. Yeah. Uh, that Junior Franger could leave prison, go back to Florida, kill a couple of people along the way and just show up and reinvent yeah. himself because it's 1990 and nobody yeah. has any 
access to anything. Yeah. The information comes when it comes. Mm-hmm. It's relayed by phone calls and by people showing up at people's doors. I mean, it's it would not work now. Yeah. And it's very like uh, much like a book, like it uh, like it came from. Yeah. So. Well, it's it's got an Elmore Leonardy kind of vibe. Charles Williford Definitely. worked in that vein too, where yeah. he was much more interested in dialogue and character than he was in plots. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another book called um, New Hope for the Dead, which mm-hmm. is just. Again, if nobody out there knows this, go read this book. It's fantastic. The, it's amazing that, no one has made a movie out of it. Is that the fourth book in the series? I think you know, it for the dead? might have been the third. Okay. But it could have been. Yeah. Um, he would have gone on much, much longer, but unfortunately yeah. he didn't. Yeah, 88 he died, right? Yeah. He didn't even get to see this movie. No, the film's dedicated Damn. to him. Yeah. I think he did work on the development of it. I, I right. suspect he was involved in it. But mm-hmm. the director is, is uh, George Armitage, who's mm-hmm. a guy who made um, Rolling Vengeance. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, oh, shit. Could be Rolling Thunder. I always mix these up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I will, no. I will quietly double check I think check it's Rolling this. Thunder, but – Was it Rolling Thunder? I think so. There's wow. one where Willem Devane has a hook for a hand. Okay. <laughs> there's one with a truck. Okay. And he directed one of them because I'm so tired today that I can't actually remember which one is which. No worries. Uh, but he directed that. He was part of the Roger Corman mm-hmm. um, uh, exploitation right. crew that mm-hmm. came up in the 60s and 70s. He made a nurses movie too. Okay. I think it's The Young Nurses yeah. in 1971. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it yeah. turns out I have that, which I was delighted to find. It was on this box of um, – Shout Factory has yeah. been doing the Roger Corman stuff for years and years and years. And there's mm-hmm. a DVD box set of all the nurses. And they sent it to me back when I was reviewing movies for uh, for the Toronto Star. I think right. it must have been. And uh, I was the video writer and they sent me everything. And I just – I found out that I have this lost George Armitage movie. They released it once and never came back and I still haven't seen it. But I'm (laughs) kind of on a kick now. How many – do you keep all those old – because you've been a critic for a long while. Yeah. And and do you keep all those old videos you get sent? The DVDs Um, and the A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah? I still have – I still have laser discs from way back when. Stuff that isn't – stuff that isn't available elsewhere. Like the Criterion Edition of Cronenberg's Crash uh, has a commentary track that never resurfaced. So I kept it. Wow. Laserdisc will come back. <laughs> yeah, they will be the next thing, millennials. <laughs> yeah. you know? It's true. It's rarer than rare, right? Like Laserdiscs are the vinyl of the VHS. Oh, era. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are better. Uh, they still look like garbage now, though. That's the whole problem with HD. <laughs> were Were you uh, drawn to like the character in particular, or was it just kind of the world and the way it was filmed, or w- was there anything? The hook for me was yeah. was the execution. Yeah. It was the idea that you could start a movie called Miami Blues, which is about a criminal and a cop, with Spirit in the Sky, which at the time like that was a song that had disappeared into obscurity. I know it's on the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack now. Right. Yeah, but those. Those those notes kind of pounding into the movie at the very beginning, where you have no idea what kind of movie it is. Right. Uh, the had you seen like a trailer at all? I don't think I had actually. Okay. So you went into this totally blind. Yeah, I knew the book, but that yeah, okay. was it. Right. And again, you have no idea how it's going to be executed. Maybe right. it's going to be super grim. I mean, this is a movie about a guy who kills people. Right. Uh, but it could, isn't grim. It's like so bright. No, the it's entire joyful. Yeah. The I don't think there's a scene at night. Uh, there's the scene in the um, the Seven Eleven, the scene of the right. convenience store. Yeah, yeah. I think that's about it. I think though. that's oh, yeah. and the scene where he goes and beats up Hope. Yeah, like one or two scenes, but the rest is like bright oh, no, Miami sunny sunshine, sunshine and yeah, it's all yellows and pinks and pa- everybody's wearing pastels. <laughs> yeah, I know it looks like an Easter parade. It's, <laughs> it's no, it's awful. hideous, but it's actually yeah. part of it, right? Because yeah. I mean, you've got that water ballet sequence where everything is just absurdly pretty, yeah. in a way that it doesn't belong, and, right. and that Baldwin's character is just this interloper who shows up and starts taking things. I mean, that's yeah, this whole thing, sure. right? I can have anything I want, but I don't know what I have. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I don't know what I want. I yeah. blew it. I blew the line. <laughs> um, but well. it is it is such a, a pleasurable film in, in a lot of the same ways that Reservoir Dogs is. Like right. it, it makes you appreciate what you like about the genre. It makes mm-hmm. you enjoy 
bad people being bad, right? And <laughs> and good people being incompetent, right? It's, you're 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 encouraged to take pleasure and identify, okay, with them, and then of course you're forced to confront the the. The, the awfulness, the true gravity of what they've done and the damage they do to people. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And that happens pretty quickly yeah, with uh, sure. Jennifer Jason Lee's character. But mm-hmm. you're still you, – the, the smartest thing about the film is that it puts us in her position. She is afraid of Freddie. This, right. this is a young woman, 23-year-old Susie yeah. Wagner who, uh, who meets um, Baldwin's character, Freddie, who's calling himself Herman Gottlieb, Junior Gottlieb, which is a great joke. Mm-hmm. Um, in a hotel in Miami, he's just arrived. He wants a girl. She gets sent up to his room and he decides that he's in love with her and, and that she should live with him. Mm-hmm. And from the jump, her character is sort of a naive person. She's not terribly bright, but she gets him right away. The, the, right. the great thing about this film still now, I just watched it again last week, mm-hmm. uh, is that all three characters see the others for who they are. There's no – Illusions. Everybody's lying about something. Hoke is pretending he's not investigating something when sure. he first meets him, and then he sort of keeps up this pretense of being a shambling idiot. Yeah. Uh, Susie is pretending to be an eight, a nineteen-year-old hooker who, right. who's world uh, worldly wise and street smart, and Junior is pretending to be a, what does he call himself? Some kind of solid citizen. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's blatantly obvious to us and to all of them that none of them is that thing. Right, that yeah. They're all, they're just all lying to each other, yeah. but all of them see through it yeah. at the same time. And the only person who who is smart enough to hope for a better outcome is Susie, who wants yeah. Junior to be oh, better. That's, that's a nice way of putting it because when I well, – we're going to get to the rundown in just a second. But when I when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's it's too bad that she's so naive that she can't – but I like I like that viewpoint that she's smart enough to hope. Yeah, and she's and, the only person in the movie who wants to see the best in him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he doesn't even want to see the best of himself. No, and he can't handle it. Yeah. Ultimately, I think <laughs> yeah. that's the reason he destroys himself. He destroys their relationship because he just yeah. can't be the person she needs What's him to be. There's – um, oh, I forget the name of it, but a Coen Brothers movie that has the same kind of criminal character, Nick Cage, uh, plays – Raising Arizona? Raising Arizona yeah, has yeah, that yeah. kind yeah. of same criminal <laughs> character. I love that movie so much. Obscure I, Coen Brothers. You wouldn't even heard, heard of it yet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking like no country to stay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he, he wants so badly to be – be good for his his wife, and he cannot be. Uh, but the genius of raising Arizona, though, is that all of his skills as a criminal become essential to their goal, to right. their shared goal. Yes, which is why it's a comedy, and why Miami Blues is a tragedy. Yeah, Miami Blues is definitely a tragedy <laughs> for sure. Uh, well, let's get into into the rundown. Uh, Rob, do you want to tell our, our listeners kind of what this movie is about if they haven't seen it? Yes, I will try to. <laughs> I mean, it starts with Alec Baldwin. He, we don't know who he is or what he is, but he is on a plane. He's flying in. He seems like fascinated with you know what's whatever's outside the window. He looks like a child, <laughs> you know, peeking yeah. outside the. Porthole, yeah, exactly. or whatever it is, uh, and stage. Yeah. We, we sort of see like he's he's practicing somebody else's handwriting. Yeah. There's something sketchy about him. He picks up somebody else's briefcase right. or a suitcase. Suitcase is a woman's suitcase. Yeah, yeah. Which is why, yeah. I, I, first of all, if you're a criminal, go for a man's suitcase. Those clothes are going to probably fit you a little bit better than a woman's suitcase in 1990s Miami. <laughs> I don't know. He tries. Yeah, he does try. Yeah. I mean, we see him approach a couple of business guys, and they turn towards him, and he just pivots away. It's just it's this great shark like action on Baldwin's part. He is yeah. always there to forward. take things yeah. mm-hmm. and not stop without He's, hesitation yeah. or yeah. reservation. Mm-hmm. Gives the kid a little candy, takes his mom's suitcase. Yeah, kid has yeah. candy. 
<laughs> Nobody got hurt. Like that's that seems to be his motif, right? And then gradually we find out he's not actually yeah. benevolent. Yeah, because yeah. I, I wanted to like him so much in the beginning because you want to like the criminal in a way in a sure. movie. You you want to like the con man or the rapscallion because they're the underdog. But like very quickly, like I can't like this person. Oh at yeah, all. oh yeah. Well, he breaks a Harry Krishna's finger. Yeah. And that is sort of what causes the whole plot to begin to roll mm-hmm. because that Harry Krishna dies from shock. Yep. From shock. And soon they have to investigate this murder. And so we meet the cop who is Hoke, Mosley. who is played by Fred Ward. What a name, Hoke. Yeah. Uh. And this is like a grizzled old veteran of the police force. This is not like today's cops. They're all pretty boys and, you know, they have yeah. all of their teeth. <laughs> this is like yeah. an old dude. This is like your dad sort of cop, like For tough, sure. doesn't share his feelings. Well, this is played by a 47-year-old Fred Ward who yeah. looks like he's about a 1,000. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. It's like <laughs> Hoke, Hoke has lived hard. I mean, the fact that he yeah. puts his dentures in bourbon at the end of every night kind of tells you how he lives. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Krishna died of a broken finger. <laughs> I mean, is that a homicide? Well, I guess he died of shock. Well, it hurts like hell having a finger bent back. My sister used to do it to me when I was a kid. Yeah, but you didn't die. Now, if this was an accident, it'd be simple assault, right? However, if the guy in the suede sport coat knew... Krishna's had a bad habit of dying every time he bent their finger back. <laughs> Murder one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, like, this is, what, two weeks, I think, after Tremors had come out? It was right yeah. around the same time. And he's playing a mentor character to Kevin Bacon in that, but still kind of younger anyway. Mm-hmm. And it was a jarring, like, oh, that's what a character actor is. You right. can do any of these things. Yeah. He was Gus Grissom in The Right Stuff in 83. And it's so funny because like, I, like, I don't see him as a character actor because he he doesn't lose himself in a role. It's like, well, with that face, that's Fred Ward. Yeah, you know? but that's like, the quality, right? That's yeah. the reason you cast him. That's yeah, yeah. the character. Yeah, just, yeah, You know, this guy, but he's a cop. This guy, but he's an astronaut. This guy, exactly. but he's fighting giant and, and he does he does pivot like a little bit just to kind of lean into the role a little bit. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's great. I like yeah. him in this movie. He's too. the one with the least to do, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, he basically just has to get angry and get sad. But yeah. he, he does those variations of it, that that dinner sequence uh, in, mm-hmm. the, in the first – that ends kind of the – or that starts the second act of the film where all three characters are in the same place for the first time. He is – you know, he's not doing anything challenging. Everybody else is doing harder stuff, but yeah. he holds that center so well, mm. joking around about how, oh, you you know, maybe you want to get in the lineup for me and just we know who this guy is and so do right. they. But he he brings this lived quality to it. Like this is not the first time he's done any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very confident as, yeah. a, as an actor in this role for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the investigation kind of begins at that point where the Harry Krishna gets his finger broken. Yeah, that's right. And he also has his partner in the sort of craggly-faced Charles, Charles Napier. Napier. <laughs> oh, that guy is like classic. Yeah. yeah. Everybody knows Charles Napier. He's part of the Jonathan Demi repertory company. Like yeah. a year later, he's the guy who gets disemboweled in Sounds of the Lambs. Right, yeah. It's his body that gets strung up. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, it's just all that stuff. 
enough of these familiar, friendly people who you like seeing in other movies. And oh, look, they're here. They're this guy's in this. This then, movie is filled with that guy. It's great. It's mm-hmm. great. Uh, and another familiar face in Jennifer Jason Lee, who yeah. uh, Alec Baldwin, as you said, calls down. Uh, she's a prostitute. Yep. Send up a girl, and mm-hmm. they end up getting engaged and uh, having like this romance. Oh, man, this is the part where, like, I really hated him. He's so cruel to her right yeah. off the bat. And then there's that little hint of uh, of vulnerability that he gives. He, it, like, he's like, you know, lie on your front. Like, I don't want to see your face. All oh. stuff. And then uh, and then he, like, crawls in beside her and, and you know, can't can't work up the courage to, to make love to make love to her. Uh, just not making love at that yeah, point. That's not what happened. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, he tell, but he's honest with her. He says, "I haven't been with a woman in a long time," and that yeah. that gives her reason to. I know it's just it's just that's the that's the horrible part of it because I think in, in today's day and age we all know that like playbook, yeah. Uh, like yeah. that man's playbook of of like what's called the game, right? The game, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna neg you as much as possible, and then I'm gonna show you a little bit of good stuff, and you're gonna love me for it. And so it's so clearly what he does, and it's done in a movie. Uh, and give credit to the writers uh, of the book and the, and the movie because they did it without having the the game around as like a rule book, right? Uh, they just knew that that's what that character would do, and so well, he does that with everyone. Yeah, yeah. he 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 doesn't. Uh, that's the the thing about Baldwin's performance. It's so great is that he he really doesn't care about anything. He doesn't no, even a, care about he's himself. A psychopath. He is, he's he's yeah. a pure sociopath. He's yeah. just not interested in niceties. People who he depends on for help. He'll just insult them and shit on them constantly. Yeah. And it's just who he is. Mm -hmm. And it's not a good quality. I mean, that's how we know right away this guy's not to be trusted. Yeah. But the way he bulldozes people, again, with this practiced ease of doing this over and over again. He's been – he spent most of his life in prison, we're told. But I'm pretty sure every time he gets out, he does exactly this thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's just – it's all habitual. Mm -hmm. And after a while, it becomes really clear. Certainly on repeat viewings, there's nothing personal about it, which makes it worse. (laughs) For sure. He's just – He's just a force that arrives in people's lives and yeah. ruins them. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of the deleted scenes in Bad Santa. Not deleted scenes. The director's cut where oh, Billy yeah. Bob Thornton is essentially spending between one Christmas and the other just drifting through places and conning people and grifting things. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He's like – he's a con man but not smart about it. Like he's it, – it's almost like um, uh, instinctual or compunctual where he has to do it. It's, it's not um, – it's not like he's doing this smartly and slyly and picking people's pockets or whatever. He no, oh, no, he's right out in the open. He yeah. does seem to have a bit of a code because he yes. he doesn't really rob innocent people. He's not like a you know he's not going to stick you up and take all your money. That's what however, he says. <laughs> however, if he just happens to see you being stuck up, yeah. you know, I mean, he does what a good Samaritan will do: help you out. Mm-hmm. But then he will take your wallet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's like Robin Hood, but he doesn't give anything to the poor. I think yeah. that's how he puts it. That's what he yeah. says, yeah. yeah. And he sort of like Craigslist Joes himself <laughs> up to like a bit of a fortune. Like, you know, start with the paper clip, right. <laughs> trade it for something clip. else. Yeah. He steals – well, he intervenes in a robbery, takes mm-hmm. the person's wallet and then uses that to buy a Uzi, a fake Uzi from yeah. a yeah. store and then squirt uses gun. the squirt gun Uzi to yeah. rob somebody's car. Yeah. yeah. Well, it also explains how he's been operating for so long, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's the definition of petty crime. If you're robbing other criminals, you're less likely to get reported. You're less likely to get noticed. It's the, the core of every Oceans movie, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you hit a guy who won't report it. That's a good yeah. note. I'm going to write that down. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> 
if, if you ever get into criminality, this is the way to go. If, yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and if you already have, there's plausible deniability. This podcast is just a front for a criminal empire. <laughs> yeah. I assume that's how we make our money. Yeah. We're, podcast we're laundering work. so much money through <laughs> through podcasts. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like and subscribe. <laughs> We have more of the Jennifer Jason Lee Alec Baldwin relationship. They keep meeting up and mm-hmm. sort of like strengthening their sort of thing. Yeah, it's so she goes like she goes over like head over tails, not, not for him, but to be with him, like to like him. Yeah. She really no, does both, some yoga yeah. to do that, like emotional <laughs> yoga. She's like, yeah, they're both past all of this. Yeah, they're playing house with each other. I mean, yeah. that's ultimately he wants to look like a solid citizen. Yeah, and she is more than happy to have a house because it's what she wants. She's just fast tracked to it. But yeah. you can always tell that the reservation is there that she knows it can't possibly last, and and it isn't until she's confronted with you know un deniable truth that it all yeah. comes crashing down and right up until then she's this sunny supportive happy person or at least she's pretending to be yeah well and it's hard because at one point she does seem to be like getting what she wants a, a house with him that he's mm-hmm. renting from this old woman and but at one point he's like what do you want out of life and she tells him and he's like you're getting none of that <laughs> like, it's just a, a blanket denial of everything she wants in her life and it's after they've like been calling each other husband and wife and have gotten quote-unquote married which uh, they didn't, yeah, they just say it. It's they just say it. Yeah. So I just, I just felt so bad for her, and I wanted so. I, I was wondering where this movie was going because I think there are a lot of movies that show that, and the guy does something really like one thing redeeming at the very end, and you're supposed to like them. And then, uh, <laughs> and I was so worried that was going to be this movie, and I was like, how am I going to talk about that? It's not that kind of movie. <laughs> with Norm. Oh my god, not that kind of movie. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad it wasn't. I'm glad it wasn't. But let's, uh, yeah, let's get there. Let's let's kind of. Well, while they're playing house, yeah. that's when uh, Hoke comes in and uh, drops in for a visit mm-hmm. to question them about uh, the Hare Krishna incident at the airport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a man in a suede sports coat was observed getting onto a uh, hotel shuttle from the airport right after the incident, and that's what Hoke is following up on. Yeah. Meeting uh, Junior, he knows instantly that it was him, yeah. and yeah. then stays for dinner, which is yeah. such a great unexpected scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was the old days of police work where detectiving was mostly inviting yourself for dinner. <laughs> yes. He does it repeatedly, which is sort of the most charming thing about Hope Mostly. Yeah, yeah. So, Armin, where's the time? Time? What do you mean? Well, the way you're guarding that food. You know, like another con could take it away from you. <laughs> I was raised in foster homes, you know. No one's like speak to my lawyer right away or like you can't enter my domicile. Like no one really knows their rights. Everyone's being very cordial. It's like the 1950s. Yeah. Well, if you don't admit to anything, you can probably get away with it. At least that's how it's played. And then again, because everybody recognizes the other people for who they are, you have this wonderful tension of junior – like. Basically jumping around the corner, miming shooting Hoke with an actual gun, which got gasps in the theaters right. uh, when I saw it. Both uh, three times, I think. Every time, at least twice, it happened, and people <laughs> right. went because it's shocking. Yeah, and it's funny. Yeah. yeah, but because Baldwin plays it on the balls of his feet, he just jumps in, does the thing, you know, pretends to blow smoke off the off the muzzle, and then just pivots away. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a great little moment, but it's shocking because this is the kind of movie that what twenty five minutes in has already established this possibility. It's like, yeah, he could shoot him. 
yeah. and then what happens? This is you know a great kind of yes and aspect of the mystery is Definitely. there isn't any mystery to it. It's about what will happen, not about who knows what. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the game that the movie is playing with us is, is this a redeemable guy? Like is he uh, the Robin Hood that he kind of purports to be, yeah. the selfish Robin Hood? Or is he someone that could blow someone away? Uh, and yeah. we, we find out the truth of that. Who are we rooting for? Are we yeah. Hoke or are we Susie yeah. right, in this movie? That's yeah. you know, like, how are you responding to this story? I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. I'm a Susie. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to be a Susie. Yeah. Probably – I'm probably, yeah. yeah. I'm easily suckered. <laughs> Plus, Jennifer Jason Lee's got it going on. <laughs> she does. I mean, well, she's, yeah. Creatively. <laughs> creatively. <laughs> yeah. She's, like, there's two women in this in this movie, and uh, and one of them is uh, naked twice in this movie. I don't know. It, it felt kind of. But she's uh, not sexualized that way, right? It, this, this, there's one sex scene that is more conventional male gazy. The first time, yeah. it's really perfunctory. She's sort of bouncing around in, in her panties. Yeah. And I was surprised every time I see it. It's, it's like, that's not. You know, there's no music telling you how to feel. There's no eroticism of it. It's really functional. She is a sex worker, right? And she is getting ready because she's not uh, physically interested, intimately, or uh, emotionally tied to him yet. She is just doing her job, and mm. it's a really weird shot. It's like a medium shot. It follows her around the bed. She just pulls her dress right over her head and mm. gets to it. And it's then that he opens up to her, and they start an actual relationship. And then the right. second time. There's a nude scene. It's both of them yeah. and it's much more conventional. And it's all just right. this weird little moment where you could have shot this a million different ways and almost all of them would have been familiar, recognizable and conventionally eroticized. Like mm-hmm. this is 1989 when they make this movie. There was, all that stuff was happening. Yeah. A lot of exploitative stuff. Basic Instinct was a couple of years away but they were like the erotic thriller was already a yeah, thing. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And they just didn't do that. It's, mm-hmm. it's a great introduction for her because it tells you everything about who she is without making her an object. And you know, like as much as Junior wants her to be one, right. she won't be. Yeah, interesting. I, I do like the way the uh, kind of camera plays with that too. At one point, she's changing out of her shirt, and the camera pushes into Alec Baldwin so that we only yeah, see her right. from the shoulders up. Uh, and then the next scene, she's naked. So you're like, oh god, okay. <laughs> like well, you're really playing, like toying with us as an audience. So it's, it's interesting. Wasn't for modesty. <laughs> no, it wasn't for modesty. Uh, yeah. No, but it puts us in. His perspective for that moment where mm-hmm. she's sort of shrouded. He's, and the fact that you know he's hired her as a prostitute and she asks him to turn around is another great little moment because she's still being – you know, well, she's not she, being coquettish or anything. She's yeah. just – she's not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Well, and she's a newly uh, you know, sanctioned prostitute, I we're, guess. We're assumed so. Yeah. yeah. I mean she's 23. She's been I, – I suspect from the story that she tells people that she's mm-hmm. 19. Right. I think she's been at this for a couple of years and she's practiced sure. it. But yeah. yeah. I mean she does seem to be going through school on this too. Is, uh, I, I don't think she has any reason to lie at this point. About uh, the night classes? No, I think that's yeah, true. Yeah, I think that's true as well. Yeah. Her great plan is to open a Burger World franchise, uh, yes. <laughs> which is you know, in 1989, 1990. That's not a bad it's move. a solid plan. Yeah, and they yeah. can move in to Beyond Florida? Meat. Are you yeah. kidding? There's a lot of people eating <laughs> yeah. burgers in Florida. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> she would have been ahead of the Beyond Meat curve, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. she would have been good. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after their dinner, Junior goes back to Hoke's place and beats the shit out of him. Yeah, and steals his teeth. And steals his Poor teeth. Poor Hoke. Gun his badge and his teeth. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and the badge. Because he uses it immediately to uh, intimidate a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Well, and to do a bunch of other things like uh, steal from people that are getting robbed and stop people from robbing a store and then steal what they were going to steal from the store. Yeah. So. It, he, it becomes his new shtick and he's in love with it. He loves yeah. all like the power mm-hmm. and people are just – people are just – 
People love the badge. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. And there's this weird thing too that I thought was going to come up again, and it didn't quite. Where he starts solving the cops' actual cases yes. at one point, I was like, "Oh, is he going to? Is the cop and a junior actually going to become friends at the end of this? Is, there, <laughs> is that where it's leading?" There's all these things that I think movies now really tend to do, and this is bucking against that the entire time. It's so, true. Yeah. Ever since Heat, I just want the cop and the criminal to be buds. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, just like go one. For Coffee. Yeah, have a drink. You can work this out. <laughs> We're not so different, you and I. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Except they are. So, you know, that's great that the film never gives us that, that he's trying but he's bad at it or he's yeah. great at it by accident. And he has no skill. He shoots somebody and then says, Shop, stop or I'll shoot, which yeah. is a great moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and only just through sheer stupidity does he ever get exposed. He just – he pisses off the wrong people. He goes mm-hmm. – he, he pushes too hard. Yeah, uh, and in fact, the um, the the arrival very shortly after this segment of the film is uh, that Paul Gleason shows up as the the actual corrupt cop, right. uh, who Hoke is now getting payments for because Junior busted up an an operation and said you're going to start sending half of this money to Hoke Mosley, which is his weird way of paying him for the gun and the badge because he says he never steals yeah. anything, he don't he never takes anything he didn't pay for, which is. Also not true, but it's, it's just one more rationalization. But it gives us that one magnificent scene with Paul Gleason where he shows up and just does the whole, you know, yeah. hang ten gesture and in this ridiculous white suit. And there's a whole <laughs> other movie in his performance. Definitely. And I love that it intrudes into Miami Blues and then we never see him again. Yeah. Just yeah. a corrupt cop revealing himself. Like this bad would, lieutenant steps into this and yeah, steps out. This yeah. would actually be another movie somewhere else where it would end with him getting revealed. But Hoke doesn't care. He doesn't no. know what's going on. Even when he, he's got the guy's money in his pocket, he's barely putting it together from moment to moment. And it's just this great difference in styles where you have a swaggering police lieutenant. You could get that story going. And I, you know, Williford had him pop up, I think, at least once in another book. But he never had his own he never had his own narrative because he's right. just too much of an idiot. He's right. just he's too loud. You know, you go out in the world and you're exposed in minutes. Mm-hmm. And Hoke can just look at him and go, "Oh, this guy's an asshole." Yeah, and then get back to his own thing. Yeah, and he is. I mean, Hoke is kind of like the the uh, the Rocky of police detectives. He just like <laughs> keeps on taking hits, and that's how he solves crimes. It seems like. Um, yes, <laughs> that's right. If this guy beat me up, he's probably the suspect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah, think about it. Yeah, Occam's fist. Occam's fist. <laughs> Math does uh, check out. Yeah, yeah. So he but, goes after. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <clears throat> Junior just basically he, his crime spree continues, and eventually it sort of catches up with him a bit. Like at one point, he is he's had a convenience store, mm-hmm. and of course, it just happens to get robbed while he's there, and he he does his cop thing but he tells the guy like you know if you go now then it's fine you know you don't have to like have this life of crime right and uh, the guy runs out the door and then drives his truck through the convenience store window and sort of like pins him down from the front yeah and uh, he's you know he's injured now yeah. He has to get – he has to go home. He tries to get Jennifer Jason Lee to sew up his eyebrow. Which is a funny scene because oh, they're both like, tr- like trying not to puke as they, <laughs> as yeah. they have the needle thread. Yeah. But that's love. That's love. Sure. You know? Yeah. He keeps sew her from passing out. She keeps him from passing out. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then neither of them is any good at it anyway. So and no. here there's another kind of parallel with what Tarantino did with the ear in Reservoir Dogs where there's just this shocking intrusion of gore to remind you what the stakes are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's funny mm-hmm. as opposed to horrific. And so again, it's just another deviation that didn't take. If if I still think this could have helped define another 
another subgenre of of, uh, of noir storytelling, but then it just wasn't flashy enough to catch people's attention. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is gory. I mean, like oh, yeah. the makeup is so good because when the needle actually goes into that eyebrow, you see it like being attached again, yeah. and the eyebrow is literally hanging off his face. Prosthetic it's, makeup. Oh, it's I felt so, so much better yeah. than CGI. <laughs> just that little tug on the thread. It's just yeah. yeah. Again, the whole audience goes. Yeah, yeah. feel it for sure. For sure. Yeah, and then eventually uh, the sort of like. The big screw-up he makes is he goes to a pawn shop and he's trying to uh, shake down the owner for information about these coins. And she's not having any yeah. of it. It's a crappy coin collection. He just happened to steal it from somebody else in yeah. Susie's building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yeah, it's great. Again, someone else who sees right through him instantly knows. Yeah. You know, like, really? You're a cop? What are you investing? What is a homicide detective doing investigating a coin collection? Yeah. And yeah. he, she antagonizes him. He antagonizes her. Everything else goes to hell. Well, and his I, fingers get cut off. Yeah, I think she wins because she definitely takes a machete and chops off three of his fingers. Yeah. What happened to your eye? Car accident. You should sue the doctor who sewed you up. You could make a bundle. He said it'd be fine after it scarred over. He lied. How come a homicide detective is so interested in uh, stolen property? First of all, that's confidential information. Second of all, I'll ask all the questions around here. I'm working on a tip. Thinking of putting a stake out in here. He does shoot her. Yeah, he does yeah. shoot her in the, in the shoulder. <laughs> there for are sure. no winners in Miami Blues. Yeah, no. that's true. Well, Susie does okay. Um, <laughs> and then Susie takes off because she's like, "You lied to me. You said you were not going to do any crimes anymore." And and she takes off. Yeah, he and promised that outside. she was yeah. just he was just she was just taking him for errands. You know, yeah. just regular old stuff. And yeah, to uh, a pawn shop for errands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Sometimes some of us have to go to pawn shops. Blaine, are you being judgy? <laughs> I'm not being judgy, man. He I'm said he had judgy. investments. I mean, this is <laughs> right? technically mm-hmm. not exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, she she doesn't open the door for him, so he you know he's stuck there. And then Hoke comes after him, and uh, yeah, Hoke's been following them all along. Yeah. yeah, because he had just met Susie at the Piggly Wiggly the day before with that wonderful, beautifully acted little moment between those two actors, between Fred Ward and Jennifer Jason Leigh. That was a good scene where he tells her the truth, and she crumbles. Yeah. And Keeps going. Yeah. 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 She's good. She's yeah. good in that scene. Oh, yeah. And I forgot to talk about my favorite part of this movie, the <laughs> vinegar, vinegar pie. pie. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a thing. Apparently. Yeah. I oh looked it up. Lord. I mean, I, I thought it could be like one of those like depression era recipes. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, tomato soup. It's probably where it came yeah. from. <laughs> Ketchup soup. Ketchup soup. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she makes the vinegar pie, but she puts a lot of fucking vinegar in it. I love the The direction of that scene is not the best direction, I'm going to say. Just because... Like I've I have been distracted and like tipped a little more uh, over the measuring cup, you know. She dumps the whole bottle distracted. It goes all over her arm and hand, all over the <laughs> counter, it's splashing on her. She's drowning in it and swimming, and she doesn't notice it. It's one she of the knows. best pie she knows scenes exactly in film since doing. Labor Day. Yeah. <laughs> well, before really, yeah. Uh, no, American she knows pie, exactly yeah. what she's doing. It's a test of him. Yeah. She's she's right. giving him something terrible, and right. that moment when. She cuts into it and there's a squeak sound as though it's going through air and, and mm-hmm. the crust is so hideous. It's just – again, it's a wonderful little moment that is not on the image. It's just on the soundtrack. But that awful puff of air sound that comes out, it's just – oh, it's going to be disgusting. And <laughs> like, he, he eats it because that's his thing with her. He's you know the most important thing to her. He never hit me and he always ate everything I made for him. Yeah. 
Yeah, low that's, bar. Yeah, that's a low yeah, bar. It is a low, low bar. bar. <laughs> that, but that speaks to her too. There's yeah. actually a lot of stuff about um, Susie that's cut from the that was in the book that was cut from the uh, from the film, which oh, is yeah. uh, Ravindra. The uh, the Krishna is her brother. Oh, um, which is sort of a larger thing about how they were fated to meet, but it's not important, so they left it out, which was exactly the right choice. Junior is yeah. a random force; makes absolutely more mm-hmm. sense as, mm-hmm. a, as a once you can see him yeah. instead of imagining him on the page. And Susie, like they had escaped; um, they were basically dustbowl kids in the seventies. They had no money, dirt poor, and vinegar pie is something that actually is a, a pleasant memory for her, which she then destroys for Junior. Right, man, yeah. Poor so Susie. It's, so it's a sad movie. Poor Susie. Yeah. But she uh, does she does okay. Well, yeah, she kind of uh gets off a little a little uh bit at the end because she's not the cops like let her go. Yeah, Let's not question her, her. But you she's know? also got the shoebox at the end, which is where all the money was. Yeah, and it and maybe seems she might like not. Coke has decided that that's okay too. Because yeah. most of it was taken from criminals anyway. Right. There's another little bit of a rationale going on. I after hope she the, opens that burger chain. I think she's. I think she's running four right now. She's got four burger worlds going. Yeah, and because uh, she survives, but um, but the you know um, the junior does not. Yeah. Hoke shoots him. Yeah, he's, he won't go willingly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's kind of like death by cop. It's yeah, how. Yeah, I mean, by cop. Probably planned it that way somehow, and in some level, he wants it to be over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Most well, of his fingers have been cut off. And yeah, once you have, once you're missing three fingers. Actually, I shouldn't say that. My grandpa was missing at least three fingers. <laughs> oh, really? And he lived a full life, oh. Mister Alec Baldwin, <laughs> stealing from other cops and, and criminals. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Take it to the grave. Two finger Jimmy. <laughs> well, that is uh, the kind of rundown of this movie. We will be back in just a second to talk about uh, some trivia, some behind the scenes, and uh, I think Norm, you're going to know all this trivia. <laughs> I'm old. We'll see. We'll see. 
peak Baldwin. Yes. <laughs> they were everywhere. Was there ever like a competition between like a, a serious competition like where it wasn't like Baldwin, Alec Baldwin's going to be the good one and the rest of them are going to be like, you know. Everybody knew that Alec was the most talented one. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then Daniel just got weird really fast. Mm-hmm. His, I remember his roles just got stranger and thicker. Stephen – He's the one in The Usual Suspect, so he had his moment. Right. And then he just made a lot of direct-to-video stuff that nobody cared about. And then Billy William Baldwin was was harder to, to pinhole because he was the one – like Alec was going to be a matinee idol, big movie star. Right. And then he didn't – he just changed his mind and he didn't do the, uh, the second Jack Ryan movie mm-hmm. after Red October. And he sort of torpedoed his entire career as an yes. action star, which I think for him was the right move because he's – Way more interesting as whatever it is he turns into in the 90s and the 2000s. Yes. And um, Billy Baldwin kind of stepped in to fill the void. But he's a much more limited actor. So I think Alec was always like Baldwin Prime. And then after that, they were fighting on the pyramid to see who got the second and third, the peripheral Baldwins. That's tough. I forget which one is making all the Left Behind movies. Oh, that's Steven. Is it Steven? Yeah, he's Uh, the hyper-Christian. Mm. Weirdo one. That's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's one in four. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, okay. Second question. Fred Ward bought the rights to this book so he could uh, make a leap from supporting a man to main actor, although he was in Tremors as kind of a main character. So he had his eyes on the junior role. Whom did he try to cast as Hank Mosley at first? Oh, I, yeah, Gene Hackman. Gene, yeah. Gene I, Hackman. Did, I did know that for a second. I was like, oh, wait a minute. No, it is. It was Hackman. And Hackman yeah. would have been great. Hackman would have been great. Yeah, already old enough. Yeah. Like, slow enough. He could play it. Like, Unforgiven was still a couple of years away, so he wasn't anywhere near done with acting. Yeah. But, yeah, I could have seen it. I've, but Hackman played a lot of private eyes, were kind of adjacent characters. Yeah. I mean, there's a the conversation, sure. obviously. But yeah, yeah. there's a bunch of other stuff he did in the 60s and 70s where he sort of fit in. And I can see him just not wanting to do that. Yeah, but this it feels like he got he got to play a little bit more comedy in this. Like mm-hmm. uh, and he was, you know, kind of funny as Lex Luthor and like all, all <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, so he so like, I felt like he could have done this uh done mm-hmm. this role so well. I wonder if he didn't want to look weak. Cuz this is the book yeah. where Hoke is kind of on the back foot for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I'm not doing the teeth thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Keeping him. Keeping him. <laughs> but uh, I, and I wonder Fred Ward would not have worked as Junior Franger. He was too old. Yeah. Well, like already. He wouldn't have worked as Junior. Oh, yeah. Certainly not no. with, with the Susie no. they got. Yeah, no. Not with the Susie. <laughs> yeah. that, that would have been bad. Yeah, but yeah. picking an unknown – like a relatively unknown quantity like Alec Baldwin who was in I think three or four movies at that well, point. And was kind like of she's a having pretty a baby boy too. And, and, yeah, yeah, Beetlejuice where he's more of a – like a leading man yeah. rather than someone with darkness to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Married to the Mob has that, but it, he's also like he's killed in the first twenty minutes, so he doesn't yeah. really get to show any yeah, real yeah. criminality. Yeah, no, this no, was he, this was a revelatory performance from him. He just he looks so yeah. striking. He's he's physically so interesting when just watching him yeah. move through he's scenes. So chaotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a chaos yeah. demon. Yeah. He's manic. His <laughs> eyes are crazy. Yeah, he has crazy eyes. Well, the blue. Uh-huh. It's the Katy Perry thing, right? Like the blue eyes and the dark coloring. It's yeah. just yes. Katy Perry could have also worked in this role. Katy Perry could <laughs> I would like to see a remake. I remake don't see Miami not. Blues with Katy Perry. <laughs> Should have done great. Okay. Why does Katy Perry spring to mind for that contrast? Like Zoe Deschanel has it too. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Because Katy Perry seems like a psychopath. <laughs> well, how dare you? <laughs> and Zoe you? Deschanel can do no wrong. <laughs> how dare you? I'm going to defer to you guys on that one. Um, all right. So there is a, a famous filmmaker that uh, unites – 
both. That's kind of like one person away from uh, Demi, the producer of this movie, mm-hmm. uh, Armitage, the director, and the uh, author of the book, Charles Bulliford, as well. So what famous filmmaker kind of uh, worked with all three of them? Well, it's Corman. You got – Yeah, I mean, we, right, we've already mentioned him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, you got to do better than that, Blair. Roger, I mean, Roger, <laughs> this is embarrassing. It was, I, it was so hard to find trivia. <laughs> uh, but Roger Corman basically is the glue that creates the American – uh, cinema of the, of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Turned out so many famous filmmakers. Yeah, people yeah. would just work for him and then graduate. Mm-hmm. And and Armitage and uh, and Demi both worked. Like Demi was, um, I think he made three films for him, mm-hmm. uh, I think. And yeah, Demi made Chain Heat famously. He, right. ne- he never made a nurse movie, but I'm sure that's how Armitage and, and uh, yeah. Demi met. Like mm-hmm. Some story conference over who could use this actor or that actor right. in a given week. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I... I you know he he worked with he launched Coppola he's yeah. um, De Palmo's in favors. There's all sorts of of footprints that lead back to Corman yeah, in for cinema. Sure. And and Miami Blues feels like a Corman movie too. Mm-hmm. It has a looseness. It has a the locations look like locations like they didn't get permits. They just showed up and started shooting <laughs> the exterior. Sure. There's yeah. the, like the laziest gunfight in the world <laughs> at the very end, which is just great because the camera seems to be racing to catch up where the bullets go. Yeah, there's a like they shoot at a car window at one point. And it's like I think it shatters, or maybe you just hear it but it doesn't matter it <laughs> adds they slap it together and yeah. it feels it somehow feels authentic that way yeah yeah for sure do you know how uh how the author charles wilford uh knows corman no i assume they wrote on, he wrote on something but that no, I, he I didn't write know. it wasn't a writing thing he acted in a in a corman movie which um, one uh the corman produced movie called uh, thunder and lightning yeah, he played a bartender i don't know that yeah it was yeah well it's a <laughs> it's a deep cut uh so where was, was that when you were asking trivia questions well there's part of the trivia question how did the three um anyway so but <laughs> it's it's kind of cool that uh i i read up on uh, charles <laughs> Willford and it was really Interesting. He had like an, a crazy life. This yeah. author, he like he was his mom and brother died of TB by the time he was ten. At thirteen, he assumed like another person's identity and like, what? rode the rails between Mexico and U.S. Oh, no, he Dick guy, Whitman somebody. Yeah, he Dick Whitman somebody. Then he enlisted in the army at sixteen because the ID said he was way older. He said it was like seven years older than he actually was, which is crazy. He must have looked so old. And then he was in a tank in the Battle of the Bulge. He has a, a purple heart, silver and bronze cross. It's insane what he did. And then after he left the army, uh, he wrote a bit while he was still in the army, and then. He uh, was a boxer, an actor, a horse trainer, a radio announcer, and he was a shitty horse trainer. Let's be honest. <laughs> Just shot in the air. But what if that was the best thing he ever did? <laughs> yeah. That's how he thought it's of like himself. One and done. Let's go. I'm moving that on. That horse was broken. Yeah, I've, I've written books, <laughs> yes. but my real, real prize yeah, is teaching a horse, a horse to write books. Yeah, exactly. Vinegar pie. That's the name of the horse. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he also studied art history in Lima, Peru as like he was going to be a, a PhD. That was his PhD. Uh, but then he was kicked out because he falsified all his papers to say that he had a bachelor and master's degree. Damn. So he was just – I feel like – Learning about him, I learned a little bit about Junior. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's, he's, yeah. he's like a more benevolent Junior. He is. He's a, a little nice. He was married three times, so we'll see how benevolent he was. <laughs> we talked to his first two wives, but but yeah, he uh, 
he, you know, grifted through life a little bit. And yeah. that's why books are boring these days, because the authors didn't have sketchy con man lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have yeah. to imagine the sketchy con man life and then yeah. fake the book and call it an autobiography. And everybody's disappointed when they find out it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Shatters into a million little pieces. I don't you know. know if he, <laughs> I don't know if he ever wrote an autobiography, but I'd love to read it. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I, don't, I couldn't find one, but yeah, I'd be I only know him through the it. novels. Yeah, yeah. So, a bit of behind the scenes on this, just how it got made. It was uh, Fred Ward bought the book uh, for four thousand bucks, and then he brought it to Demi and was like, "You need to direct this because you direct great movies, and I need to be in that." Uh, and Demi was like, "I uh, no, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, not at all." Uh, but uh, my friend hasn't worked in thirteen years, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Armitage, yeah. yeah. Sterling endorsement. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Check out his nurse movie. You'll see. Yeah. Well, because he hadn't made anything after those movies and yeah. uh, Hollywood kind of shut him out. And he – Demi blamed on the fact that Armitage wasn't like a schmoozer and wasn't, uh, you know, hip in with the Hollywood scene. But in that time, uh, Armitage wrote 50 scripts and tried to sell them to like 50 Whoa. in 10 years. Like that's – so many scripts. Yeah. I can't imagine writing five scripts a year and then keep on putting them in and being like, will anyone buy this? Nope. Next one. <laughs> like, that's insane to me. So that's it's cool that he did it and cool that he finally got a break in this movie and then went on to make uh, Gross Point Blank. Right. Which yeah. is one which of my is, favorite films. Yeah. So Yeah, and one of the films that actually picks up on the Reservoir Dogs Pulp Fiction thing by being a new iteration of whatever the Tarantino thing was, the neo-noir wave that way. He, he right. followed, in that case, like he didn't follow his own direction. He went with the other guy and made one yeah. of the best versions of it. Well, I feel like he's close to junior. Like he could do anything and he doesn't know what he wants to do. Yeah, like, just emulate I think, it. Yeah, writing 50 scripts, I feel like you don't have a direction. Yeah, one, point, one of them right? did get made. There's this utterly forgotten movie called The Last of the Finest. Okay. Bill, I want to say Bill Paxton's the lead in that. Ooh. It's a bunch of cops chasing drug dealers in 1991, 1992. Okay. Absolutely. It was made because Miami Blues was with sure. Ryan. He sold him another thing. Yeah. Uh, he didn't direct it, and it is just totally forgotten and, and forgettable. Like it right. would be a direct-to-video movie now okay. uh, or a Netflix movie probably. It's not <laughs> bad, but it is absolutely generic. Right. And nothing – there are no surprises. The villain's a drug dealer. The cops sure. are all you know, like a, like a loose family that argues with everybody. And then a few years later, Heat comes along and shows you what that can be. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. this is one of those movies that isn't Heat. <laughs> sure. But yeah. he finally sold the script, so there's that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good, Armitage. Yeah, and, and Gross Point Blank is amazing. I'm sure oh, more people phenomenal. know that than Miami Blues. Yeah, oh, like for Seven sure. years later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, even making this movie, he uh, had a hard time because he was about to be fired off the movie and yep. Demi had to step in as producer. Yeah, like, Demi was his bodyguard, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically just to keep him in the, in the business. And Fred Ward was a producer on it because he bought the rights and then he had a kind of interesting life too. His, his father was in jail on the day of his birth because his father was like a, a – uh, anti-law criminal. He was a criminal <laughs> guy, uh, and so he. I've heard of those. Yeah, exactly. And then he he was a drifter too. Like he drifted around the states and his Fred Ward. Yeah, Fred Ward looks like he was. Yeah, a, yeah. Be a drifter. Yeah, yeah. I buy it. And then he wound up in San Francisco, originating roles in Sam Shepard plays. Like he just his nice. start was like kept, yeah. That, like, well, that's how he got onto the right stuff, right? Shepard yeah. brought him along. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like his. His career was like one thing and then the next he was like in movies. You're like, how? That's crazy. Yeah. Fred Ward. That was the 70s, man. Yeah. Just, you could trip into a movie. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> 
so much harder now, man. <laughs> and Jennifer Jason Lee, I looked in her and I was like, oh, maybe she has a crazy past too. And like, oh, her, well, her, her, her dad's a, a, an actor and her mother's a writer. So I was like, ah, yeah. you, you were born for the cinema. Yeah. Well, her dad was killed on the Twilight Zone set. There's yeah. your crazy story. Yeah, so that's, that's true. a trauma that she's kind of never really yeah. uh, reckoned with publicly, as I understand it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it would be hard to reckon with publicly. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, can you imagine the... being the interviewer being like, so, let's talk about Victoria. For all the coverage of it, though, and there, you know, there was a lawsuit. There was this, this, there was a book written about that. And she is a ghost in it. She really doesn't yeah. appear. And I think that's the way. Like, you, I can't conceive of someone doing that now when everybody is that intrusive yeah. and invasive. But the yeah. idea that she could just sort of pull herself back and then create her own career. Mm-hmm. Separate from that is pretty admirable for the you know somebody in the late eighties for sure yeah 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 and uh, yeah her mom wrote um, Georgia for her yeah she's starred one, her, in one of his mom's films yeah one of her best known roles or one of her yeah. most intense performances for sure she she's clearly still committed to doing the best thing the best version of whatever it is she does mm-hmm. and uh, yeah people who saw her in this for the first time would have had no idea. How to process it? Although I guess by then she was already pretty well known for you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and stuff like that. Sure, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. But it felt like a revelation. It felt like a new person showing up. Yeah, well, she's she's great in this movie, and I'll, I think the for me, I, I think we're going to go around and talk about kind of if, if this is rewatchable for us and and Rob and I. This is if this is yeah, watchable no, I'd, you know, I'd for love the first to, time. I'd love to know uh, how you processed it. But yeah, I think for for me it was. The the elements were there, but like I said at the beginning, there there wasn't that much style to it, and it felt like it was begging for it at times. Like mm-hmm. it wanted something to to come along and show us what to look at instead of just bullets flying into the air and just the being like, thing. I, yeah, I guess, yeah. And I think the acting is well done. Uh, Alec Baldwin is literally an insane man in this movie. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm like, I'm kind of scared of him. He's so uh, manic. He's so manic. And Jennifer Jason Lee is really great. And Fred Ward is, yeah, he, he gives those touches. He, like, elevates it. And that's really great. Uh, but I don't for – for me, the elements didn't really come together. Uh, the – well, one of the big things in this movie's bonnet, I'd say, is is its surprise. It like surprised me a lot. Mm-hmm. Like when he lets the guy go and the guy gets in the car, I'm like, well, that guy is going to drive off into the. Oh, he yeah. just ran him over. <laughs> uh, so, and I don't even think it's intentional. I think he's just a terrible criminal. Like, I yeah. don't think he put his car into drive on purpose. <laughs> For sure. He's just bad at everything. You can see him shaking and nervous, and he's got yeah. a limp that we never understand. Yeah, and pointing the gun. I don't think he has a, two lines of dialogue. No. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of flailing around. So, of course, that would happen. Yeah. But, yeah, when it happens, it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it's organic to the story. And yeah, organic yeah, yeah. To the, And the other, the other thing, I, th- I think there's just the through line of Alec Baldwin's character is hard for me because at that one point he says, I don't know what I want. And that's so hard to write a character that doesn't know what they want at all. Yeah. What are they trying to do from scene to scene? And so every scene seems like a scene that is starting a character. Almost where he's in the. Like who is he now? Who is, who is he, he now? Yeah, every scene is an introduction scene to him, and so it's like in the story he's like, uh, "Leave, you know, you, you don't have to have a life of crime." You're like, "Okay, that's different from the guy yeah. who we had three scenes ago, who was like holding someone." <laughs> so 
and then it's kind of uh, backfilled later where he's like, well, I was trying to be a good guy. Yeah. But well, I also think he sees his, his younger self. Like there must have been a version of Junior who didn't know what he was doing. Right. And maybe in this moment because he's playing a cop, yeah. he's acting out some kind of weird trauma of his younger self and giving himself – giving that guy the chance he never had. Yeah. yeah. But it's left to us to kind of um, dig through yeah, yeah, his yeah. like chaotic character to come out with reasons and maybe that's the brilliance of it that we're kind of Jennifer Jason Lee's character being like, who are you? Yeah. And, and how much danger am I in from moment to moment? Exactly. And how can I like you and, and all that stuff? And I think there's a, a, a rash of likable – People wanting likable characters because of that 22 Pixar rules theory of screenwriting where your character has to do something that saves the cat and is likable. (laughs) And so every producer I talk to now is like, this person has to be likable. They're not that likable. And it's like, well, the world isn't full of likable people and you can center on someone who's not likable. Yeah. Uh, I think of um, all the the Tarantino films inevitably will have – the, or the, not the Tarantino films, but the wave that started with Reservoir Dogs, all of yeah. those movies that came out in the 90s, they were always about well-spoken people within her lives doing awful things. And yeah. you were – yeah, you were on their side. You want to empathize with them. You want to sympathize with them. Miami Blues doesn't give you that because no. Hoke is our fo- is like supposed to be our focal character, but really it's Susie yeah. because of the way the movie shoots it. Mm-hmm. And as a result, Alec Baldwin gets to be this – massive, invasive, disturbing force that just shows up and annoys people or, and threatens them and shoots them and kills them yeah. and then leaves and, and gets to go and do it again. So that's exactly how you're supposed to respond to it. And you're like, ah, why am I – why do I – why is he here? Why, why, why am I watching this? And the answer is because yeah. of the effect he has on the people around him, which is the thing that I always come back to. Mm-hmm. He, it's an amazing performance because um, – Let's see. There's a there's a movie called The Iceman with Michael Shannon from about okay. six or seven years ago. I remember the poster. Yeah. Not a very good movie. Okay. But he plays a guy named I want to say Richard Kalinsky. Okay. Who was a who was a, you a, have some a, film knowledge. I a think. confessed yeah. serial killer. He admitted to or he claimed to have murdered dozens and dozens of people as a mob hitman. Right. And it's based on a videotape of an interview with this guy which was called Interview with the Assassin where he just – this testimonial like a true crime video of a guy talking to camera about all the people he's killed and mm-hmm. there is nothing to this guy. He just sits still and he talks right. and it's dead-eyed and cold and scared. Sure. It's like really, he's like a neutral mask kind of thing. Yeah, character. like yeah. he's finally unburdening himself but it was never a burden. Right. It's a laundry list. Sure. And then I did this and then I did this. And Shannon's way of, perf- of performing that, of portraying it in the moment, was to give nothing back to his co- his co-stars. Right. Anybody in the scene with him, he just glared at them. And he's Michael a big so physically good. guy. Yeah. He's a big guy. And he would just physically and like, emotionally intimidate them. Sure. And it's an incredible performance in a movie that doesn't deserve it because everybody <laughs> else is like, well, but he's the hero. So we kind of have to like him. Right. It's like, no, he's not going to let you. And Baldwin is doing something very similar in that he finds a core of anger mm-hmm. in Junior. Like he's impatient. He just wants to be done with whatever's happening so he can go to his next thing or so he can take the thing he wants to take. Yeah. And watching that come out in the conversations with someone who he's supposed to be in love with is painful. And in the scenes with Hoke, it's like he's just bristling with violence because all he wants to do is kill him. But he can't yeah. because that's the wrong move. And so you're watching a guy who knows – maybe he doesn't know what he wants but he knows what he shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it over and over again. And yeah. I just found that absolutely fascinating. Hmm. Interesting. Well, hmm. what about you, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I think like what you said, this movie is the uh, deviation from the Tarantino stylized, aestheticized crime movie. Yeah, it's the alternate history. It's where it could have gone. And it's been like 
we've had like probably like 30 years of crime movies being like that. And so I think like the hardest thing for me watching this movie uh, is just that it seems like such a throwback to an older style of movie. It's like the kind of cop show or the kind of cop movie that my stepdad watched. And I think that's something that should totally be explored now since we played, you know, the cool crime suave criminal to the to death now right. that that's been done a bazillion times you know i think the other style might be really interesting to look at but watching it as an experience for the first time i found myself like yeah like struggling to like get hold of it and try to figure out like what am i supposed to be who am i supposed to be rooting for what am i supposed to be rooting for What's Alec Baldwin's deal? Why doesn't <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee stand up to him? And of course, there's like lots of good reasons for that. But as a as a viewing experience, uh, it wasn't super pleasant for me. However, I think having talked about it with you and sort of having thought about it and done some research after I watched it, I can definitely see what they were going for. And I think it is. I like that it is willing to show, like, you know, an unglamorized sort of aspect of criminality. I like the whole sort of, like, throwback to noir-style plotting. Mm-hmm. I think it's all – I think it all sort of, like, does interesting stuff. But for me, I don't feel like I have enough of the vocabulary to put it together in, uh, you know, at least on the first viewing. I think if I watched it again, which I might do, I think – I could definitely appreciate some of the uh, some of the nuances in the relationships and mm-hmm. all that stuff, but yeah, it was so hard to like Alec Baldwin because I just felt so much like sympathy for Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, and I'm just there's so many yeah. movies I guess I've seen recently where like you know men are psychopathic dicks to women, um, and that doesn't. You know, I think that this movie does it really well. Like it. You know, it shows us exactly what he's doing. It shows us exactly why Jennifer Jason Lee d- isn't able to sort of confront him about it. But for me, it wasn't like a fun watch. So I'm going to say on the un- not rewatchable side. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, Norm. No, that's fine. I rewatched it. I'm happy. <laughs> I, uh, this is the second time I've watched it in a few months, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. A friend of mine had never seen it. And I, oh, nice. And I demanded he watch it. Yeah. He mm-hmm. liked it. Well, uh, he was and, sitting right beside you. Yeah. I feel like you. It's. it's I'm hard not. A, to... I'm not an intimidating uh, viewing partner. I'm sitting okay, very quietly. Okay. I have my cookies. I'm fine. <laughs> I don't bother anybody. Uh, but it is funny. Uh, uh, my wife had never seen it, mm-hmm. and we watched it just uh, three nights, four nights ago, yeah. and she did not like it. Yeah, she was. Um, she was not into. The power dynamics, the relationships, and yeah. she thought that uh, Jennifer Jason Lee was too much of a like, – or that Susie specifically was too much of a doormat. Yeah. And I can see where she's coming from. But I think if you if you miss the – and at the risk of mansplaining it, uh, at the, if you miss the fact that Susie is terrified of him the yeah. minute they meet, then nothing else follows. Right. And so maybe that's something that doesn't show up on first viewing yeah. not easily. I mean I've seen this – I can't count how many times I've seen it. I, I'm actually – I may be the reason it's on Blu-ray, which I'm, <laughs> I'm very proud of. When Shout Factory um, started, uh, I, I was 
I got to know the um, one of the people who runs it, Tom Chen, uh, professionally. I mean, we would just run into each other because I was one of the only people writing about those movies that they were releasing. And gradually, he would start saying, "Oh, we have this catalog. Is there anything in here?" And uh, they got the they got the Canal Plug Studio Canal catalog. I want to say six or seven years ago, and then there was a second bump of stuff from MGM, and I realized Miami Blues was in there, and I just sent him a, an email with Miami Blues all in caps. Wow. And a year and a half later, here it and is. And a toy Uzi. I wish like, put it in there. Shown up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thought about it, but uh, I if that's the one thing I do mm-hmm. uh, as a as a, a film archivist, and I'm I'm pretty happy going down good on this legacy. one. It's great. It's a good. It's yeah. a small legacy, but it's a good one. That's awesome. For people that want to check out your podcast, that is, uh, you know, obviously like more in depth in the movies, and and I mean, you it's about breath. the same as this experience, frankly. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, it's just it's called someone else's movie. It's mm-hmm. a show where I talk to a writer, director, an actor, or industry figure about a movie that they love but that they didn't make. Mm-hmm. So it can't be promotional. Yep. I mean, it, it can obviously, but yeah. the point of it is an advocacy show for people to talk about a movie that maybe influenced them or that they just saw and can't stop thinking about. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that can be that can be kind of fun. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. it's on the Frequency Podcast Network. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you found this show. It'll be there, stalking Great. it. And what, uh, <laughs> what, what episode? Do you have an episode that you like in the last little while? Uh, the platonic episode? ideal of the show is the one I did a few years ago with Sarah Gadden on uh, okay. Cleo from 5 to 7. Oh, nice. Uh, Agnes Varda's first feature in a movie that is as much about female beauty and self-image uh, as any movie is. Mm-hmm. And, and Sarah Gadden, who at the time had just come off a film called – Antiviral, which was very much about her creating a campaign for her her character, who's a who's a model and an actor, mm-hmm. and she's always had this really interesting relationship with her own image. Mm-hmm. It was just, and she went to film school, so she was just prepared, right? And she showed up and just that's probably the, the, the most intellectually engaged anybody has ever been on that show, and it's wow. fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, that's and uh, also there's one with um, Tatiana Maslany and and her partner Tom Cullen. Uh, they wanted to do There Will Be Blood, and I was worried because these are incredible, talented, powerhouse actors, and right. within 10 minutes we were all high on uh, sugar and just doing Daniel Day-Lewis voices at each other. So <laughs> that, that, is a, that was a blast. Good. Yeah. Well, I'll listen to both of those. That sounds great. Oh, you should. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it was a, a pleasure. joy to have you. No, this is great. Thanks for having me and thanks for letting me spread the gospel of Miami Blues to <laughs> well, this whoever wants it. Like kind of like a pod mash, you know? Like you come <laughs> on, advocate for one of your movies. Yeah, that, it's uh, kind of weird. I end yeah. up in the opposite seat, but it's uh, it's fun. I like, being, I like being the advocate. Yeah. It's good. It's a good position to be in. Uh, so thanks for coming on. And uh, you listeners, you can find us at Apple Podcasts and you can rate us there. Um, and if you don't have any money to go to patreon.com slash rewatchability, then you can just – Steal some. <laughs> Preferably from, from somebody people. stealing from something already. People. If you want to keep all your fingers, then you can um, – <laughs> then you can just tell someone about the podcast because we really appreciate that. Or you can go on uh, Twitter or Facebook and, and talk to us because we always love talking to you. So uh, thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you next next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.